Welcome to the Lulu Logic Podcast. I'm your host. I'm Nick Lewis. This is another great. I know I keep saying that. I know I keep saying it, but it just keeps getting better and better. Um, I, I just want to say thank you to the two guests that were on today. The first female on the podcast, and I will just say this: definitely glad that she was the first female. There's going to be many more to come in the future, but I'm so glad that she was the first female. Her brother is my ex-teammate. They have such a great bond and such a great relationship. And it's just an amazing story to hear how they both made it to professional sports. It's not easy, but it's worth it when you get there. And to see what they're doing off the field and off the court now that they're still giving back, they're still doing everything to help out. I'm just so glad I had a chance to have them on the Lulu Logic podcast to share their story. And hopefully that somebody's out there listening to it can relate or say, you know what? If they did it, I can do it too. Without further ado, here they go. Let's get it. This is the Lulu Logic podcast. Today's guests are brother and sister. Both have played professional sports. They were born in Collingwood, Ontario, and raised in Brockville, Ontario. Stacy led Thousand Island sec- Secondary School to three consecutive AA Ontario Senior Girls Basketball Championships before heading to Oklahoma, where she was a two-time first-team All-American, two-time Big 12 Player of the Year, two- the Big 12 all-time assist leader with 764, played for Team Canada in the 2000 Olympics, and was drafted third overall in the 2002 WNBA draft by the Washington Mystics. Burke went to Concordia University where he's a three-time Quebec intercollegiate football conference all-star. I'm glad I'm breathing through this, man. Y'all are some special people. And then was a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Montreal Alouettes, Calgary Stampeders, and Edmonton Eskimos, and is a four-time CFL all-star. Welcome to the show, Stacy and Burke Dales. What's up? Appreciate that, Nikki. Appreciate it, bud. <laughs> Thank you, Nick, for that introduction. I never get sick of stuff like that hearing it about myself. <laughs> you know, you work in a male-dominated thing, right? It's like you're, you're wearing men. You, you work in football now, and you're around these men all the time. When they talk about themselves, you know, when you hear Dion or, and others talk about themselves, Marshall, do you, do you ever throw your stats in there or say, this is what I did? That's, that's loaded up, Nikki. I tell you right now. <laughs> um, you know what, Nick? First of all, I, like I said, as you know, and when Burke presented this opportunity to meet with you on the Zoom um, podcast, I was like super stoked because you're a legend actually. You know, 15 years um, running and catching the football, blocking, um, to have a career that long and be that durable is much respect. Cause I cover some of these guys, I'm about you right now. You haven't hit the 40 milestone yet. You will soon, <laughs> but. Um. When you play for 15 years in, in a football league, it it's, it's sometimes can be hard to walk. So kudos to you on that. Um, I, I don't need to give those guys my stats. They know. I mean, <laughs> I mean Irv, you know, all those guys. Um, I was so humbled a few years Move. ago when Oklahoma retired my jersey and they put together a video. So, you know, you see somebody like Michael Irvin or, you know, Marshall Falk, Warren Sapp, all those guys who have become friends of mine and who I have great respect for, uh, for what they've accomplished in their careers. To have them be a little tiny piece of a retirement video was such an honor. So 
all joking aside, uh, Burke and I come from humble beginnings, I guess you could say. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. You know, Michael Irvin was always my favorite player of all time, of any sport. Uh, he's my guy. And um, I'm actually playing a celebrity football, uh, softball game next month with him in Dallas. So looking Woo! forward to looking forward to seeing him. I haven't seen him in a long time. I, I met him once uh, when I was coming out of college. And uh, he gave me a little advice, and it, I guess it worked. What about you, Berkey? How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, buddy. Um, Michael Irvin was one of my favorites, i got to be honest with you. I love Dallas uh, and the Bills, you know what, growing up. Um, so, yeah, Michael Irvin was my favorite receiver uh, behind Sterling Sharp, to be honest. And I, I got a chance Damn. to meet at the Super Bowl years back when Stacy brought Dad and I down uh, to New Orleans when it was Mardi Gras going on. And I got a chance to meet Sterling uh, through Stacy because he was working for the network at the time. Um, but yeah, Stacy really set us up that that week. Dad and I, we went to a Snoop Dogg private concert. We went to a <laughs> private party, and it, it, there's ludicrous and I, I, the list goes on. Eh? And I didn't really know how connected my sister was, but um, I do now. <laughs> I was talking to Nick Ring. You know Nick Ring. Berkey? I know Nicky, yep. So I was talking to Nick Ring the other day on my podcast, and he was saying, because he was he fought in the UFC. Stacey, I don't know if you know Nick, but he fought in the UFC for uh, He's a quite UFC a, fighter, Stacey. Yeah, quite a few years. And he had been fighting for a while, and um, his mom had actually messaged me, and we would talk about him and stuff like that. And he was saying one day she seen a picture of me and him, and then she calls him and says, you really are famous if you're taking pictures with Nick Lewis. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> That's so funny. I'm like, that is crazy how that yeah. comes out, man. And no, but it's good. Is it hard being one of the only women in, um, in your field, Stace, like now with everything going on? Yeah, you know, Nick, I, I just, I've done it for so long. I think you, when you start out originally or initially in the field, so I'm going into my 11th, I think my 11th year with the NFL Network. Um, to start out, you have to earn the trust from people. And I mean, you're covering what is really a fraternity. I mean, as you guys both know, yeah, you play at the highest levels. You both are all-stars in your own rights. You won championships, actually won together. And yeah. You know, and with stamps, go stamps. But, you know, you, you as a woman coming into it, you have to really, to a high degree, earn that trust and, and that respect. And I, I think it really helped that I played basketball. In, it's not the same sport, but I think, you know, you just have a mindset of the locker room. Burke and I talk about this all the time, right, Burke? You know, just... That's right. He'll see a report and he'll be like, you just understand what that... that felt like because and how to address and how to address those those players that yeah honestly don't nikki honestly don't they don't give interviews to anybody stacy's worked her way in and they trust her yeah so you know just, certain people you can say certain things to because you, you approach it with uh compassion and you understand what they're going through you know if they had a drop or if they messed up or if they made a great you understand what they're going through at the moment you're you're talking to them or speaking with them about the subject. So yeah, that's that's awesome. There's an empathy, and I think in life, especially as we're seeing right now with the pandemic and just all of the you know um, challenges we're seeing around North America, 
um, and you know, with, with everything that is happening currently, there's an empathy in people that you can only bind your heart to somebody. So just for me in sports, yeah, just having an empathy and I love the players. I love my interviews. There's nothing like grabbing one of you guys after a game on the field and you don't even know what to process, but you, you know, it may have come down to a, you know, the final drive in the fourth quarter and something happens and you're just feeling the electricity of the crowd and you have goosebumps and you're, you're interviewing somebody who just, you know, accomplished whatever, how many games in a row, or they made the big play or, um, you know, so it's really cool in that respect. But you're, you're a fan. You're just in the best seat, right? You get the best yeah. spot. I'll, that's how I always approach football. It's like I was a fan of so many guys that we played against, so many guys on our team and, like, on our defense, right? I could sit out there and watch our defense, and I was always standing up watching our defense. I hardly ever sit down because I was such a fan of guys, and I was like, man, I get, to, I get paid to have the best seat in the house. What was your favorite thing to do, though, Nick? I'm curious. When? Like, I mean, he likes to crack down. <laughs> Well, I'm curious. Like Burke was a punter, and I, I think his favorite thing was when he he, he could punt it and headhunt somebody. <laughs> yes, I remember like, when Burke asked to get on the kickoff team. Burke was asked why, to kill him. Why like, would you put me on the kickoff team? <laughs> put me on the kickoff team. I'll go down and make a tackle. <laughs> put me in go to right play. Can't have you and Sandra on the field at the same time, Burke. <laughs> The the my favorite. No, but like well, all the things you did, Nick. Like when you think about, it, you catch it out of the backfield, you run the ball, you, you you know, you have to help them pass pro, and then the numbers you put up were unbelievable in your career. I mean, record record setting CFL numbers. I'm just always curious, somebody at your position, what you, what I guess like what I always ask my 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 running backs in the NFL, my fullbacks, whatever. What's your favorite thing to do? And I I kind of find it interesting what what those answers are, are consistently. Yeah, you know. Um... For me, I've always been uh, a route runner in the way, you know, from college. We had we ran the option in college, so we had a lot of one receiver set. So I, that was when I first started blocking. I blocked back on people all the time. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to the CFL, I mean, to play with guys like Jermaine Copeland and Kenyon Rambo and uh, Robert Connell and, and Wayne McGarity and, and Salacio. So, so many guys that, at receiver and just to go out mm-hmm. and be able to figure out a way to get it done, be so different than them those guys, but still be able to be a part of it. I, yeah, I but, think. Yeah, but were you like a yards after catch guy? Could you run? Yeah. Yeah. That's yes, what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> they, well, they, they wouldn't, you know, later in my career, they wouldn't let me run down the field too much. So I had to make, I still had to get yards, but. <laughs> I was getting closer to the line of scrimmage, so it made it a lot of hard yards and, and things like that. But may I interject? Go ahead, so, brother. Like when I was when I was getting going with with the punting, and I was nervous, and my first couple of years, and Nick, they they would they would throw a dump pass to Nick on second and long, and I would just be like, okay, I'm going to kick out of my end zone. Yep. Okay. Yep. That that helps the nerves. It didn't. <laughs> anyway, he would just – he would bowl his way through 10 yards and get the first down every single time. Nick was known for his, 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 his crackbacks and, and his yak, his yards after catch. And it, it really helped me in my career kind of springboard up because I knew every single time he caught the ball within 10 yards on second down, I knew he was going to run for that first. And mm-hmm. so, for me – he was a staple in my career. And I, I will give you props on that, Nikki. Appreciate it, brother. 
that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was good. I always enjoyed. I enjoyed most of it. I mean, I was I just had the mindset I wanted to be a great teammate. You know, um, I don't know if you know I was a Division two walk on, so it was never like one of those things where I was put on this pedestal and I just came in with the. I had to work to get where I was, so working was just what I did, and you know whatever I needed to do to be the best teammate. Um, I talk about it all the time, being selfishly unselfish. And you, you, you know about this has been in sports is we get paid for our own stats, but we only win championships together, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be selfish in the pursuit of what you want to accomplish, but you have to be unselfish in order to win a championship. Like me having a great game might not be us winning a game. Not enough. Right. So that's the that's the hard part with a lot of athletes is, you know, well, I need this many um, yards. or I need this many sacks so I can get paid this money or or keep my job. But then I have to be unselfish and drop more in the past, drop more or block more or do these things that I don't necessarily want to do uh, in order for us to win games. Right. So it's a it's a different transition. Um, and young, young athletes, I find, struggle the most with it. No, I was just saying how the, you know, early in guys' careers, they lose. They come in, they want the contracts. They want to prove who they are. They want to put up the numbers and establish themselves. But, you know, in order for the team to win, you know, you having a 1,000 yards or you getting this many tackles might not be what we – Need to win the championship. Yeah, and being a defensive tackle is like the ultimate. Defensive tackle and offensive linemen are the ultimate sacrificers, right? Because if, if your linebackers are really good, that means you have really good D tackles, right? And if you're an old lineman, if there's quarterbacks getting the ball off and the running backs getting yards, then that means you had a good old line or they worked well together. So, you know, you just got to tap into those guys that never really get the credit. They get the least amount of credit all the time, unless you're Aaron Donald, right? Uh, <laughs> if you're Aaron Donald, then you're just a freak. Cause you're, uh, who, who's your buddy, Stace, in uh, Minnesota? The two guys that, in Minnesota that you really like. Well, I, I've always been a big Everson Griffin fan. Yeah. Um, you know, he's getting up there in his years. I developed my favorite, you know, who, who spent time in Canada. And yeah. Take done. that back, Stace, when you froze done. out there. I just Everything dripping and then who? Uh, I think about Akeem Hicks. Like yeah. you know, you think about the you know D tackle. What what do you, whatever you want to call these guys who spent. He's a guy in his younger days spent time in Canada. Yeah. And matriculated back to the states, but like you know, O linemen and D tackles, they're so unsung. Yeah. And I developed my favorites around the league, and most many of them are are you know to fall into those spots. So. Um, it takes a – what do they say? It takes a village? takes a village you know? <laughs> to get yeah. to that ultimate goal, man. Yeah. Well, let's talk about you and Burke's relationship. <laughs> What's the dynamic? And, and when you're growing up, Burke, you're a couple years older. Were you mean to your sister? Like, how did this play out growing up? Yeah, you know what? I roughhoused her a little bit, eh? I, I think that, uh, that, that, you know, I toughened her up a little bit. We were – we were living in the middle of nowhere, Nick, and um, you know what? Like we pretty much, we were all we had, right? Like we, we weren't from a big city. We didn't know the concrete jungle. We, like I used to high jump in my sock feet. Um, 
you know, we went to a school called New Dublin in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by cows and horses. That was about 195 people. And we just, we were really separated from reality, in my opinion. Right? So, you know, we played hockey, we played baseball, we played soccer. And I'll tell you one thing about Stace mm. is that we, so we had in a town of 21,000 people, um, we were on the under 17, we made the World Cup, or the Ontario Cup, they called it the World Cup. Yep. And, and Stace made our team at 15 years of age, and she was a starting halfback for the under 17 all-star soccer team. Oh, wow. Craziness. <laughs> the only girl to play in the Ontario Cup in history. And she could have gone on scholarships in, in soccer, uh, field, obviously long jump, triple jump, high jump. She broke all the records at OFSA. Um, basketball, you name it. Um, she had her pick of the litter be honest and I remember her going to Syracuse and and giving a verbal commitment and her last official visit I think you get five right Stace yeah Oklahoma ended up being my fifth I had gone to Syracuse I don't, I don't know what point at but you're right I was basically ready to verbal it's two hours from our house yeah so how was it growing up with Burke as your older brother Wow. <laughs> you might, you might as well be transparent. Let's figure it out. Yeah. Let's just say I, I grew thick skin as a kid. I mean, I, he pushed me to be very competitive um, and challenged me in ways that, you know, you, you, you set expectations in your life to be, to be good, but then you don't. Yeah. I set my expectations so high because I was became so competitive because I always wanted to beat Burke. Wow. <laughs> and so, yeah. So, <laughs> we, right? yeah, I mean, I can remember being a five-year-old growing up in, in Collingwood and him putting hockey pads on me and putting me in a net in the middle of winter and shooting pucks at me. <laughs> so, you know, when you're, he's two and a half years older than me. So when he's seven and a half and I'm five and I'm in the goal, like, just like this. <laughs> it's funny now, but. We're going to get good together. <laughs> and then you get a bloody nose and you, uh, you soak up the snow with the red stuff. It's like, uh, well, you better grow up and you better develop thick skin and you better uh, buckle up for safety. As uh, Jim Carrey says, buckle up for safety. <laughs> you know? Colors, great. Yeah. So, yeah, but um, we would do, we were so obsessed with sports because you know, think about the era we're all in, the three yeah. of us. This is like devices, social media. I didn't have a cell phone until I was 20 years old. So, when yeah. you're growing up from, you know, in the 90s or whatever, and you don't have devices, the only thing you go to is sports. I'm sure it's the same for you in Texas, Nick. I mean, yep. you, you go play football, you go play baseball, you go play basketball, you find a court somewhere. We even made a high jump pit with an old mattress and ladders. <laughs> Remember, Bert, we would take these ladders. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, and then we would take like a rope or something just to like go to the backyard and practice high jump. We would make hockey rinks in our backyard. Wow. And then all the time, all the while in Canada, we're like a football obsessed family. That's why, you know, Burke mentioned the Buffalo Bills. I mean, we didn't have hockey on, we had football on, we had the NFL on. 
So we had on, on, you know, NBA triple header on because I love basketball and I would go out in the winter with my gloves on, I would shovel out the driveway and we had an old hoop on our shed, remember Burke? And I would play until it got dark and then to put the spotlight on. So that, that's what, just what we did because it's what we had. It was called Tin Cap, yeah. just outside of Brockville, 20,000 people in Brockville. So um, great town, by the way, Brockville's a great town. But uh, when you come from small places sometimes, I think um, shooting out of them makes it extra special. Yeah. It's so crazy for, for both of you to go and, and be professional athletes and excel coming from a small town. I'm from a small town of 4,000 people, so I definitely understand it. You know, you create things to do and you create a lot of fun. Berkey, when did, what made you, what drew you so close to, to, to football and really wanting to involve Stacy in everything? Right, because a lot of a lot of boys will just say, you know, leave me alone to your sister, you know, and and go do it themselves or go do it with some, some friends. What made you involve Stacy in everything you did? Stacy was a bit of a homebody, right? When we were growing up, and I was a bit of a wild child, right? So I was a bit of a black sheep. She was the white sheep. Um, we both had a lot of potential. I didn't fully utilize that potential, and I'll be quite frank with you. I had an opportunity, I think, in hockey, but that that dwindled away. Um, just with regards to, you know, I was out in the ice running around chasing people and trying to fight people, and and <laughs> my, my mom and dad figured, and you know what, for the best, they figured that I was that I was venting and I was using that negative outlet to to unleash some negative energy and. They felt it best to pull me out of the out of the game. Let me interrupt for a second. That's called a goon. So when you're <laughs> headhunter in hockey, we call that a goon. And um, I will be honest with you, Nick. He had the finesse, and I'm not just saying this. I describe Burke as a hockey player as this. He had the finesse of weight like Gretzky, the way he could handle a puck and do things with a puck. But uh, he became a goon. Go ahead. So I knocked a few people out when I was 14 and my parents didn't really like that. Right. So all that being said, um, then they, they tried to put me into karate and that wasn't going to be a go for me because uh, it just, you didn't want to fight nobody that could fight back. Well, that that's one thing, right? But, uh, <laughs> I was going to street fight a karate guy and that, that I didn't want to put that cloth on my body. But anyway, so that all being said, I got into to football in high school and, and the first game that I played in, I had a really good quarterback by the name of Casey Coates and he threw me seven touchdowns in the first game. And I was it was pretty much a hook, line and sinker for me. And then, you know, I went up and played with Jesse Palmer in Ottawa. I was a tight end and an outside linebacker. I had, I think I had more touchdowns, not to toot my own horn, but more touchdowns than the leading receiver. I had nine touchdowns on defense on interceptions to the house and, uh, and a few obviously from Jess and yeah, thought I was going to go on a ride to the States and I was going to go as an outside linebacker and that never really transpired. And I won't get into the details on that, but how big were you then? I was, I was playing uh, outside linebacker at about, mm, I was about six, two and a half, two twenty-five. 
Okay. And, and I could move. Hey. Like I, I ran a four six. Like I, I, I could move at that time. Um, but then when I blew my shoulder out at Concordia, um, a full-on reconstructive shoulder surgery, they said, the doctor said that I would never play again. So I picked up the football and with a, a soccer background. I started hoofing the ball in a park over the summer and came back as the punter for the Concordia Stingers. Oh, and then I just, awesome. everything took off from there. But like, so everybody says, oh, you're the kicker, you're the punter. And I just, I kind of run with the, with the comments and the, the stigma. But you've never been considered a punter in a locker room, Berkey. I've talked well, to people in Edmonton. Locker room, I've talked to people in Montreal. You know, everywhere you've been, and I know in Calgary, you were right beside me. Yeah, we, we so so Stace, Nick, and I. You guys say there's something wrong with punters. <laughs> hey, you know, kickers are special people. Usually, it's just well, the kicker. Usually, it's just the kicker. But the punter, you know, they they have their own little accord. Basically, Nikki, he wanted to be you, but he had to settle for punting. <laughs> he wanted to he wanted to lead the CFL all time in receptions, but he settled for punting. That's a great chat we had there, right? <laughs> yeah, and you know it's an interesting dynamic when you look at the whole thing and you go through the shoulder surgery or shoulder injury that you say, you know what, I'm still going to make it, and you pick up a ball and start doing that. That says something about your character and says something about your belief in yourself and when he leaves to go to Concordia, you're still in high school. Had you already won a uh, championship or what was that dynamic, Burke leaving and you staying there now for the first time, you're there by yourself and he's gone? Uh, it was awesome. <laughs> 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 no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I mean, Burke went, Burke went and played football and he had a, an amazing career and I'm proud of him because he found, you know, he was taken away. Like he wanted to be a receiver like you, he, he was a, you know, and, and then, an out, and then a, basically a, he was the size of a linebacker. I mean, you're yeah. talking about a guy who's 230 pounds, six foot four. Um, but because of our soccer was our first sport. So I'm so proud of him that he found a niche like that, that he was so good at. Um, but Burke's really good at pretty much everything he does. When he left, um, I ended up leaving a year early because I went to the States. I went to Oklahoma. And, um, you know, in Ontario, Canada, we have a grade 13. We call it grade 13, where mm -hmm. you're basically, you stay in school, an extra year of high school, and you take, like, first-year university courses. I don't know why we do that, but that's what we did. And I left in the 12th grade, after the 12th grade. So I took, I left a year earlier than most kids do in Ontario. So I was kind of, I didn't stay that long after Burke and I uh, went to Oklahoma, uh, not far from where, where you, you know, where you're from, yeah. Nick, and um, started my career there as a Sooner. And then I've been in the States ever since. So, um, well, let's go back yeah. to choosing, choosing Oklahoma. First of all, I'm a big UT fan. Oh, oh. <laughs> But choosing Oklahoma, you said you were Syracuse, that you almost verbaled. Yeah. Do you remember who else that you were looking at? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I was like, a lot of Northeastern schools, you know, um, you know, Boston College, I went to Vermont on a visit, Wake Forest, um, you know, Big East, ACC type territory. But Oklahoma was the last. I liked the program and I liked the coach and I liked the Big 12. So, yeah. um, and, and I realized that like at Oklahoma, I just wanted to beat Texas like everybody else. So, yeah, that's what it, that's what it comes down to, huh? 
Yeah. No, I mean, it was just a great, great opportunity, you know? So, um, I'm super grateful for it. And, uh, I always knew Burke, you know, Burke should have had a chance to get a scholarship. It was so hard for young male athletes to come out of Canada and get scholarships then though. Right, Burke? Like, yeah, it was. I bet it never really happened. Never did. They didn't get the eyeball. At that time, if you were Toronto, then you had a chance, but small, small towns, no chance in life. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, how how did they find you where you were, Stace, as far as – I know you're winning championships, but how does Oklahoma and Syracuse find you in Canada in a small town? I got invited to a Blue Star Elite camp uh, after the ninth grade, which was in Terre Haute, Indiana. Okay. And all the elite players in the, the country, in uh, the USA – and there were two Canadians that got invited, myself and another girl. And uh, I went and, you know, it was like a three-day elite camp, whatever it was. And they they, um, they thought I was okay. So they, I started getting recruited at that point. Um, and it was an opportunity again. You know, you, you know, we came on the podcast and, you know, you said telling people stories about their growth and opportunity. And I think in life, like you try to take the opportunities, like Burke picked up a football and started kicking it when his arm went bad and the coaches saw it and they were like, hell yeah, man, (laughs) you can launch it. Let's go. And so you just try to, you see, you see the opportunities and you take them when you can get them. Where'd that come from Berkey? The belief in yourself that you Uh, you were destined for greatness. you, You know what? Like, I, I really – I did feel in my heart of hearts that I would have been in the NHL and, and would have gone that route. I wasn't ready, I guess, socially at that point in my life. Um, so, I always wanted to be a pro athlete. I didn't know what I was going to do to get there. I always – soccer was always my best sport. But there was no opportunities for Canadians at that time in soccer unless you went over to Britain or, you know, London or Europe. And that wasn't uh, in the cards. So I just always wanted to to get and strive to the next level and, and, and get to the pro level. That was the goal in some kind of a sport. And so, so that all being said, when I started hoofing a football, I was like, okay, I can kick this thing over a building right now. <laughs> I'm just going to hit this thing, and I might not have the most accuracy, and I might not be able to pin them out with my – with my uh, sand wedge uh, 30 yards in, but I'll learn. But from the road. I just, I just knew that when <laughs> I got football and kicked it for the first time, that thing was in orbit. Yeah. So that's what I was going to do. How did you feel about Stacy choosing Oklahoma, being so far from home and, and going way down there? And we all know the South is a little different than everywhere else. And you, you probably noticed that when you got there, how much different – uh, been in the South really was in the 90s. Yeah. Um, how did that make you feel, Bert, that she was I back, so I backed her ass up from day one um, on, on her choice and selection. She had the verbal with Syracuse. I remember her on the, on, the, on the phone with the coaches at Syracuse after she had gone on the official visit, her fifth, to Oklahoma and fell in love with the coaching staff, the campus, the girls, like everything else on that, that, that trip. And she came back and she called Syracuse and I remember her and my mom on the phone and she was crying to the mm-hmm. Syracuse coaches because she had to tell them that she wasn't coming there. And uh, so 
whatever made her happy at the time, it, it made the family happy. And yeah, she was a long way away, but we still managed to get down and see her and just really backed her up uh, like on that decision. And, and you know what? Oklahoma Sooners. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> Norman, Oklahoma. I went down, I, I actually stayed with her for at least a month training down there when I made the Steelers and uh, she gave me her campus. She gave me her, uh, her room on campus and she let me stay there. And, um, and I went out and kicked balls every day because the weather up here obviously was snowing and yeah. it was winter. And uh, yeah, my family's had her back since day one. It was her choice. She fell in love with the campus, with the team, with the coaches, and uh, the rest was history. You know what? I, I mean, Oklahoma's not a bad place. It's got a great history. And my, my people are from Oklahoma, the original Blackfoot. Uh, my great great grandmother, and so yeah, it's uh, you know I say it jokingly about UT and o- OU, and um, there's actually a softball game every year. I'm gonna have to get TK to call you so you can go represent OU. It's OU versus uh, UT for uh, Matthew McConaughey and uh, Roger Clemens and uh, those guys. They have a softball game with one of my friends, TK, with the military and everything is support the military, support those causes, and it'd be good to represent OU out there, and it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'd love that. Absolutely. I, uh, I would absolutely. What, so why did, how come, where did, how what was your journey, Nick? I'm curious now, because I think it was uh, Southern Arkansas. Yeah. Right, D2? Like, yeah. You know, to be as, as, and you said you had to work, but like to be as good as you were catching the football, like what did, how did you come out of that the way you did, I guess? I never really had to work hard in high school. I was a small town. I was always gifted. And so I never really had to work hard. I never had to do anything extra to be one of the best players on the field or the court. Basketball was always my favorite sport. I played in an all-star basketball game and an all-star football game coming out of high school. And, um, yeah, ended up walking on to Southern Arkansas and um, – you know, earned a scholarship after two years and broke every record I could break there. And then, um, yeah, kind of made my way to the CFL. So, but when I, when I touch base on Southern Arkansas campus, uh, one of the hardest places to play football is East Texas. It's probably the best football in Texas. Oh yeah. Um, right. So when you're looking at that, Adrian Peterson was, East, is in East Texas, um, at the time, uh, I think he's, um, Adrian's three years younger than me, I believe. But, like, you have Adrian Peterson there, and you have all these other great athletes that's going big-time D1 schools. Well, the East Texas Player of the Year was a freshman at Southern Arkansas on full scholarship with me as a receiver. So I'm thinking, like, this guy got to know how to play football. And we were competing for the fourth spot on the team, uh, the fourth receiver spot. And that's only that that travel was four. And uh, waking up every day to compete with him, Juan Bedelia, man, is it changed my life forever because that's when I first had to dig within myself and compete. And at that point, it was like I love competition, right? I wake up to compete. Uh, I help people because I always say I want to beat you on your best day. I don't want to beat you on your worst day. Yeah. I want no excuses. I want, I want you to be at your best. And I never wanted to make a team because somebody didn't know the playbook. So – like, guys would always say, like, why would you help someone try to take your job? I said, because they can't take my job. I, I'm, I'm that sure of myself. 
And if they can, I'll, you know, I'll shake their hand and, and move on. But that's just the what that's kind of my mentality on things and how I've always approached it mentally is, is when I fell in love with competition, it really changed my life because even outside of the game now, we compete with life. You know, we look at the COVID stuff, right? It's very hard on a lot of people. But for me, it's just another competition. It's just another view of how can I wake up and be better? How can I help people today? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense for me, too. I mean. Yeah. I mean, you, you probably didn't have to compete that hard in small town Ontario and then go to Oklahoma. Um, Stacey, why don't you, you tell them about the ACL year one and how that kind of springboarded you to the next level year two? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like both of the, to both of those points, like competing before high, uh, college and then the ACL, my first year, my first game of my college career, um, I went to Oklahoma in 97. And uh, from the point of competing, I just really felt like I had a like the thing the, the biggest thing that I loved was I knew that I could make the players around me better. Yeah. I don't know I don't know what that was, but I knew I could elevate their play. So I knew that I was a leader and I knew I could impact my teammates. I, I remember being like eight years old literally and remember Burke when Brockville Blazers House League started up. Small town, we didn't have anything for the girls. Um, the boys had hockey, so they started up this basketball house league and I passed the ball to this girl and when you score a basket and you're eight years old boy or girl I mean because Nick you love to hoop yeah um when you're eight years old and it goes through you think you just like won the Pulitzer Prize yeah you know like you think you just accomplished the Mount Everest so I when I was able to just vividly remember and my my friend just was like, you know, kids jump up and down and show their joy, <laughs> yeah. which adults should do more of. Um, when that happened, I realized then that basketball was like my, I loved it. And so that, that was my mindset. And then I went to college to Burke's point and a minute 42 into my first game, we were at Stephen F. Austin mm. and it, we, I tore my ACL. I went up, I thought, I, I thought I used to be able to think I could jump and dunk and all those things. And I was just up in the air and I came down and I landed and I tore it. And uh, shoot, when you're 17 from Canada in Oklahoma, I mean, trying to, trying to figure out, there's worse things in this world, trust me. But when you're 17, it's all relative. Yeah. But uh, tearing my ACL was like the best thing that happened to me, you know, kind of like that was my push. Yeah. And I uh, figured out like I got to stop being so skinny and get in the weight room and I, that's what I did. So through every adversity, you come out of it better. You know, no you adversity can keep you down. Were you six foot when you tore it? Yeah. 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 I was, I was a tall, skinny guard. <laughs> Dude, that's one, one, two, three. <laughs> you know, I was a one, that's two, That's special three. being six foot. Like, there's only a few that could do it. You know, some of my favorites, Elena Deladon and, and Delano uh, Tarasi and, you know, it's it's so special to be six foot and and be able to do handle the rock and, and play the game. I always I was talking to my cousin the other day. Women play the game at the piers, right? Watching the women play is like a pure game, mm -hmm. right? There's that's yeah. taking out the ego of like just everything. It's just a pure game. Did you yeah. have an issue with um? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
It's a, yeah, it's very fundamental. It's team. It's really a team basketball. I would say to your point. Did y'all have so issues you guys, with when you guys played Connecticut in that final game when OU got there against Connecticut? And was Tarasi not the junior point guard in that game? I forget. I don't know if it was her freshman year or sophomore year. Might, might have been freshman, I think. She, right. she, she was amazing. I mean, one of the greatest competitors I've ever faced. Um, just like this uncanny will to win. Um, and that year was 2002. We were in the national championship game, like Burke said, and yeah. we lost. They, they were just a better team, you know. Um, their, their, their starting five went in the first round of the W. Well, with the exception of Diana Trossi, they're, they're, they're starting um, four of those Swing players. Graduated, and they yeah. went, yes, Wynn was there, Asia Jones. Yeah. Yep, Sue. And they all went in the first round of the WNBA draft. Um, so, uh, you know, sometimes the better team ends up winning. But yeah. Did you, did you have an issue any with Canadian U.S.? Because we know the difference, right? Mm -hmm. Was, did that play a factor in your mind at all? Even you, Burke, when you went to Pittsburgh, uh, going to the U.S. for the first time and playing, like, did that ever factor in or did you just like, look, I'm an athlete, I'm a ball and I'm going to do what I do? Go ahead, Stace. Uh, that's a good question. I I just think then for for both of us, like there were so few Canadians that went south. Yeah. So you know, you you almost feel like at then you almost felt like a bit of an anomaly. I mean, now we've, we're catching up. Like in hoops, we're catching up. I mean, yeah. our, our national te teams are out like outstanding. I, when I played for the Canadian team, um, it was a grind. You know, so not only does it make me old but uh it was just you know it was just like it, it was um it was something special like to, like I said like a launching pad out of Canada to get a scholarship yeah like, holy cow and then you know for Burke to go down and you know compete with the Steelers um and sh you know could be kicking in the NFL I mean and had an illustrious career career in the CFL it's like you know, and especially coming from a small town, like Burke said. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then let me recap on that. So I, I guess my feeling on that is when I went to Pittsburgh, um, they didn't know what I was. Is he a linebacker? Is he a quarterback? Is he uh, – what is he? Like, <laughs> who is this guy? And, and we don't want to talk to him. Quarterback dropped in there. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm a weirdo. Like, I'm a weird Canadian, right? So I'm sitting in the back seat of the bus and all the draft picks are there. Antoine Randall and Kendall Simmons and Larry Foote and James Harrison and you name it. The bus is full and I don't have any clue who these people are. Right. And they have no clue on earth who I am. And I'm sitting in the back seat. So it took them about two weeks to kind of, I went out for beers with them all two weeks after I got there. And then the next day in the cafeteria, early in the morning, they said, you're not Canadian, dude. You're an American. <laughs> you're one of us. And I said, nope, I'm pretty sure I still have a Canadian passport, right? So anyway, then they bonded to me and I made a lot of friendships. And I guess my whole point being is this. I loved going down into the United States of America and fighting for that job. And I didn't get it done. I had a really rough game against the Lions, and I admit that. But you want to share the story? Experience alone, Nikki, 
the experience alone was second to none. And it really, it really levitated me and my career here in Canada. And I had another opportunity to go down and, and work out and take Matt Turk's job out of Houston with the Texans. And Gary Kubiak was the coach there. And I elected not to because Ted Heller gave me a $40,000 signing bonus. And I said, you know what? One in the hand is worth two in the bush. Yeah. I was happy playing with the Stampeders. And I knew we were on the brink of something big. And I wanted a ring. Yeah. I didn't want to just go down to, to the Houston Texans and punt the ball for the sake of punting the ball for more money. We had something bonded. Uh, I was beside you and, and Colt the whole time and Sandro in the corner and Joff and Ram. And like, we, we just had something really special and I didn't want to leave it. And, and, and Ted Heller gave me the 40 grand up front. And that's the reason why I stayed uh, because I didn't want to leave my team. That's a fact. You want to tell your Pittsburgh story about punting out of the end zones? Oh, you want, you want to get me going on that? <laughs> so this is what transpires. So this is my fourth preseason game. And my mom and dad decided to pick up my Aunt Bev in uh, Milton, Ontario. Right? So they come there, and I didn't know they were picking her up. So I'm, I'm scurrying around like a mouse looking for an extra ticket. And nobody had one. I had to go upstairs to the office um, and grab another ticket from the Rooney family. That's <laughs> I'm not even joking. I haven't made the team yet, but uh, Mr. Rooney, I'm going to need a ticket, please. Hi, Mr. Rooney, I'm going to need two ticks right now, please. Right? <laughs> anyway, um, I never really got a chance to go on the field and get my pregame in. So, like, if you're hitting a golf ball, Nick, and you're a golfer, and you go out, you get in the starting box and you're, you're pounding your, your, your seven iron, your eight iron, your driver. You kind of know where your mechanics are. I didn't have that opportunity. And then so Tommy Maddox gets sacks. He gets sacked on the five-yard line. Split his chin open from LeVar Arrington. No, who was it? Who was on uh, Detroit? Doesn't matter. And then Charlie Batch comes in as, as third string. And he gets sacked on the one-yard line. And we have to punt. My first punt, second half, is to Desmond Howard from the back of the end zone with 10 yards to boot. So I've got to one-step it. I haven't one-stepped a punt in my career. Right? Because, wait a second, wait a second. I'm going to interrupt you real quick. And this is important because a lot of people that just see it didn't understand. You came from receiver. You became a punter because you could boot the hell out of the ball. So you, didn't, you didn't do it long enough to pick up a lot of the skills – needed to really just be a I don't want to say a great punter but to do those special little things that that you need to learn along the way like you were just super talented and was able to do it I appreciate the justification right I just wanted to let people know because people don't understand that yeah, it's hard to be a technician it's but it's hard to be a technician that early in your career you know yeah. like, even though, you know, he's, he's like an uber athlete and can kick it a mile uh, times 10. I mean, you know, that's, you're right. I mean, it's, and then, you're, and then you got to one step it out of there. <laughs> yeah. so, so back to the story. So I just wanted to interrupt and let people, you know, people have to understand this, Bert. And this is a part of the journey. And this, like any kid right now that's punting, this is something they'd say, oh, I need to go work on this. Right? Because this is situations you get into 
that you don't think about. Everybody wants to, Nick, to make Nick, the perfect so catch in the perfect situation. I, I love your justification, but here it is, is this. Let's get it. So Bill Cowher says to me before the, before the game, he says, Burke, if you have a really good game, you're going to make the team. No pressure, right? <laughs> That's facts. I love Bill Cower. I love Bill Cower too. And I, I wanted to play for that guy so bad. And he just, he's a player's coach all day through, right? And then, so there was extra nerves. And my first punt, I'm one-stepping it from the back of the end zone. And I've got the entire Detroit Lion team, first game ever in Ford Field, coming at me for a punt block. Thanks, uh, God, for setting me up for this, right? I shanked it off the side of my foot 38 yards. The second punt that I hit was 58 yards, line drive. Desmond Howard almost brought it back to the house. I tried <laughs> to get his head off. He juked me. And then got shoestring tackled on the one. My fourth punt was another 58-yard punt. No hang time. I was in a complete mental scrabble, if you will. Yeah. And, and I knew, I knew at that point that I was done. I had one opportunity to seize it. And that's, that's weighed on me for a long time because I had a bigger leg than Josh Miller, who was a nine year pro bowl vet. I, I earned the respect of the team and all I had to do was have a good game against the lions. But Desmond Howard uh, wrecked my crap. <laughs> Can I just say that's something that. though? I'm so glad you didn't tackle Desmond Howard. <laughs> oh, that would have been – probably broke a few bones. You on feel me, Nikki? <laughs> I mean, you feel me on that? He's a little delicate. I get seen it. him tackle – you've seen him tackle a runner in an open field. Not, it's just not friendly. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things, Bert, it's not that and, – and this is what, you know, we talk about things and we talk about just – even if you look at the CFL and people think CFL is one way, it's not that people aren't talented enough to play in the NFL, right? It's just creating and, and getting those tools in order to be efficient and effective, right? I think the CFL games is harder to play than the NFL game. You know what, Nick? It, it's, it's right place, right time. Yeah, true. Right? 100%. Like you, you, we could have popped you into a slot back position with the Minnesota Vikings if they didn't have – digs there right and if your time was there you would have made the team like if, if i always say this to people there's only so many positions on an nfl squad yeah it's yeah. if you go to the right place at the right time you maybe have a chance well you maybe. know how you talked about um staying in calgary i mean after my second year i had 12 nfl teams off me contracts barker called me in and said tom brady's agent i've already talked to him he'll be your agent um ted was like we're going to give you 100000 to stay up front. And I was like, I'm taking that. Yeah, why not? Because if you go down there and you're a camp body, if you're not in the right team at the right place at the right time, then you might lose that opportunity up here. Exactly. For that 100000 it's one in the hand, it's worth doing push. And I, made, I feel like I made the best decision for me. Yeah, and you did. And you had a, a phenomenal career. There's nobody better, dude. Yeah. Wait, my, Nick, I have a question for you. Sorry to interrupt. Like, the CFL has always fascinated me for the very simple – it's just so simple, it's even ridiculous to, to say it, but, like, it's always fascinating because you have fewer downs, obviously. Yeah. Um, and so, you th I mean, as a receiver, you, you have so much opportunity. Why don't more receivers – like, you had an opportunity right out of the gates 
and you started off great, you finished career, your career great. Why, why don't more receivers in the CFL get looked at, or do they, in the NFL? Because, because it's such a demanding position in the CFL, and you have to be good. <laughs> you know, you just have to be. The NFL is a structured league, I feel. Um, there's a – see, I think what happened with the NFL, and this is my perspective, the NFL went from a game that you won by defense and run game. If you could run the ball and control the game and you could play good defense, you won the game 90% of the time. The NFL tried to convert to a more fun league and create more passing. So they created more rules to open up the game more. Mm-hmm. Quarterbacks were not able to withstand throwing the ball. I could throw the ball 20 times a game and I have a good game and we win games. Now I got to throw the ball 40 to 50 times a game. I'm throwing picks. I'm throwing, you know, I'm not looking great. And just that the quarterbacks weren't able to – because football is so dynamic. If I'm, if I'm in the West Coast and I'm looking at it where, okay, that's a one-person one read. If this linebacker does this, I know who I'm throwing the ball to, right, to a system where now i got to read three people. And I've never read three people. And it's moving faster than it's ever moved before, right? In high school, as a quarterback, there's yards. You're, you know, people are yards open. In college, they're open by feet. In the pros, it's inches, right? So it gets smaller and smaller. And when we look at receivers, it's such a structured game, the NFL is, that I don't even – it's hard to say because it's – I feel like the NFL is more of a – it's a system, right? So if I'm a slot receiver, I'm going to be against a safety or linebacker. Mm-hmm. If, I'm, if I'm going against a safety, that means he can't cover. If I'm going against a linebacker, it means he's too slow. Now, if you put your nickel in the game, now we have a better chance to run the ball, as long as my slot receiver can block, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like this, the NFL game is such a structured game, and everything is timing. Um, you know, so it's, different. Like, it's just a different – it's a, just a different brand than what you what – yeah. You when yeah. I was coming out, there was only one guy doing it in the slot, really, and that was Brandon Stokely, right? There wasn't a lot of slot guys, and you – like, my rating coming out was a third or fourth receiver, which I knew I was a slot. I was 5'10", 195 pounds. It was like, you're going to be a slot receiver, fine. Um, but there wasn't a lot of guys doing it. Wes Walker didn't do it until, like, 2000 – I think it was six or seven. Right? Who was that cat from the Jets? Wayne Corbett. Corbett. Yeah. But I mean, Wayne was an outside receiver, though. He wasn't a slot guy. Right. They so Brandon, in after. Yeah. Brandon Stokely with uh, Peyton Manning was the first slot receiver to really ever that. And then Kurt Warner had Oz Hakeem and Ricky Prohl and all those guys in the slot um, that started opening the game up more, too, uh, with the slot. So it, you know, it was more about. And this is funny. Like, I, I got the all-time leading receiver in Canada uh, receptions with 1,051. I wouldn't even be in the top 15 in the NFL. Mm. Right? Jerry Rice had 1,600 catches. Yeah. Right? All their stats and everything is set. The game plan is set to go to certain guys. Right. Right? So you're getting guys with 15, 20-catch games. T.O. had the 21-catch game. It's like, you don't see that in the CFL. Because mm-hmm. you spread the ball out between all five receivers or at least the top three receivers. Right. That makes sense. Right. So, And you got 65 and a half yards across the field 
as opposed to 53. Yeah. So you, you want to spread that ball out. Yeah. So it's just a different game um, altogether. I, I think a lot of receivers in the CFL could play there. Um, I think the Packers just uh, – they have one at least on the – Reggie probably. Bagleton. Yeah, Reggie. Yep. Yeah, I like Reggie. Yeah. going to be interesting. I don't know – anybody that comes out of the slot in the CFL, mm-hmm. it's even a harder transition. But if you're coming out of a slot to go play in the slot, you can do it. I don't think you could come out of the slot here and go play as a one or two in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I just think number one receivers in the NFL, they're just so physically gifted mm-hmm. that they're just on a total different plane. You know who's going to have an unbelievable year in the NFL this year? Who is that? Larry Fitzgerald, because DeAndre Hopkins has just changed the game. <laughs> Mark my words. <laughs> and, Kyler, and Kyler can run around forever. That's what I'm saying. It's going to be quite- I'm so excited to, to, to see like a guy like in what, 16th, I don't know, even year. I get excited for this kind of stuff because like the roster changes by the addition of one guy. Yeah. Who's, who's one face for me. Your, top favorite, five. your favorite receiver, T.Y.? My top three favorite receivers right now, T.Y. Okay. Hilton. Mm. Okay. DeAndre Hopkins and Devontae Adams. That's yep. a that's a hey that's a formidable pretty three. good stack three right. That is I'll a, tell you why. And every time I see those guys, I'm like, here's why. They're humble. They let their game speak for itself. They are just they annihilate routes. Like when I watch Devonte Adams run a route, it it is like he's one a, of the best. Oh, it's it's precision. It's technician. It's and it's the same for all three of them. And when I look at Ty, and how he's built he is just like they call him i mean he's the ghost yeah like, i mean and then deandre is just oh deandre's ridiculous he can do stuff that i'm i'm he's like the best receiver in, he's the best receiver in the nfl i well, think so too. that's my that's my take too i don't even well, think it's close how do you that's... let him out of houston he blows my mind when I watch him play the game. It's just unbelievable. His hands are ridiculous. So, Stacy, you grew up watching football. You said you watch football all the time. Mm-hmm. What made you go NFL Network over anything else? Mm-hmm. I mean, because, you know, you'd think you'd have your pick of, of which way you wanted to go um, to cover different sports. But NFL Network, that's, a, that's really NFL-centric, right? <laughs> Well, it kind of just ha- like, again, the opportunity came. I mean, I had been at ESPN for seven and a half years doing just a whole bunch of sports, you know, college, women's and men's college basketball, NBA, college football. Um, and I was at a time in my life where I needed a break and a transition from playing and that first part of my TV life. And I, I took a year off and I moved to California and the NFL Network called me. So I was like, Honestly, I, I just was, I had to learn like hot potatoes. I, you know, cause when you jump into something like the NFL or the CFL, it is a niche place. It is, it is a place, like I said, there's a fraternity there. And so for me, looking back up over the last 11 years of this yeah. um, has been like, it's just such a great journey. And now the relationships that you build along the way, and then you develop your favorite players and you develop, and I'm supposed to be unbiased, right? Because I'm a reporter, but yeah. um, you, you, the relationships become so impactful because you, 
you understand people's struggles. You understand why they had a chip on their shoulder. You understand how hard they work. I mean, so, so for me, that's, that's, you know, what I appreciate most looking back over it, but I've, I've loved the NFL. I've loved it. Yeah. I love football. Once you develop those, those relationships, um, and it can go all the way down to the, the communications and PR people that you work with every on a daily basis. Um, and then that, like what we're going through now, just some of these men to hear their stories and their struggles, it's been really impactful for me. Um, just, just to really understand and listen to them. And it's been really awesome to, you know, see their growth over the years too. Yeah. Right. So yeah. And, and this, how good there's, there's you, you hear the bad stories on the outside, but yeah. as you both know, being in these locker rooms with these, your brothers, it's like, there's so many good people that play this game that we love. And, um, you know, again, it goes back to their stories, where they come from and then how you blend that locker room. It's just awesome to me. Face, face. Tell, tell, uh, tell Nikki about, um, when you were in the Minnesota, uh, locker room and Tom Johnson pulled that picture of my mullet out in grade seven. <laughs> I think Nikki's probably saw it. But. You played with you played with Tom. I played with Tom. Yeah. yeah, Tom's good people. I love Tom. Um, yeah, I love Tom. I, yeah, I just went up to him and I'm like, you know, you know my brother, right? And he's, and he's like, who's your brother? I'm like Burke. And he's like, oh hell. <laughs> <laughs> He turns around, right? He goes into his locker. He pulls up a his his phone, and he 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 goes, "Look at this!" And it's a picture of Burke had a certifiable mullet in high school. <laughs> Grade seven. I'm not sure why he edited his phone. It was weird. Uh, Burke had Burke had like probably the most significant mullet I've ever seen, and <laughs> more than Joe Dirt. Oh yeah. So it was pretty pretty yeah. pretty tie even, right? But but like at the time, Burke had like Burke was rocking some really hot steel braces. <laughs> Thanks, keep coming. Yeah, um, some nice steel braces. He had the, the and it wasn't just the, it wasn't just the, the the reason it was a certifiable mully is because it was frizzy in spots. Like it. it, it was, oh, I used to tease it. It was froed out a little bit, teased a little bit. So yeah, Tom Tom uh, brought that to my attention. We had a good chuckle over that one. So, that's funny yeah small world though you know when you're standing in a locker room and a guy in there played with your brother it's pretty pretty cool um pretty know. cool shot too on insta other than the molly right but. <laughs> you know there's only about if you look at the nfl and cfl there's only about 2300 of us right yeah so it does become a very small community because when i hang out with some of my nfl guys you know, you you meet other NFL guys and, and you're doing these things with, with people that makes it a small community. Um, I just want to touch on a couple more things if you got time. Uh, one, one thing you overcame, you retired the first time in the WNBA, hmm. right? Yeah. Can you explain what happened and does it still affect you? Yeah, uh, so I played three years for the Mystics and um, I just – I was young and I had immediately out of my first year, my, an all-star year with the Mystics as a rookie, jumped right into TV. And I, I went through three years of, I, I didn't, I felt like, to be very honest with you, I felt like there was some coaching that didn't necessarily 
I'd always been like meant to thrive yep, and yep. give me the ball and I can create. And it between, you know, starting a TV career and just some things related or re relevant to that, my spirit dissipated a little bit. And when your spirit kind of dies out a little bit, especially when you're young, you got to take a step back sometimes and look at it. And so I was like, I was also married um, way too young in my life. It's a whole other story, but yeah. you, know, you go through all these things as a person in their early twenties or mid twenties. And sometimes you got to take a step back. So I retired and then I moved to Florida and sure enough, lo and behold, an opportunity came along. Uh, the owner of the Chicago sky called me and uh, said, will you come play for our team? We're starting up a new team in Chicago. So I joined forces to become part of the inaugural team. And that's, uh, that's kind of how I ended up and I came back to the game. I'd always stayed in shape. So it was like, I, I just walked right back into it. Yeah. What do you, uh, the advancement of women, I'm, I'm huge into this, you know, I have a daughter and, and, and things like this. And it was awesome to see them go from 115,000 to $500,000 contracts. Um, can you speak a little bit about that and, and just the progress of the game from when you came into the WNBA to where it is now? And just some of the challenges that women have faced in the past of, of being able to do it at a high level, like I said, in a pure level, in a high level. Well, I mean, women work as hard, if not harder, than our male counterparts. Um, and the dedication and time that we put in and the product. I mean, when I think about, you mentioned Elena Deligon and Dinah Taurasi and Sue Bird and, you know, Maya Moore and all these players, um, they're, they're beyond talented and they deserve it. I mean, when I played, however many years ago that was, I think the maximum salary went from somewhere like 80,000 to $90,000. Think about Lisa Leslie, who's iconic. Yeah. And one of the best people that you'll ever meet, but played the game at such an incredibly high level, multi-platform Olympian, um, for her to be making ninety to $96,000, whatever it was, you look back and you think that just wasn't right. Yeah. And it isn't all about the money, but it also is about like, you know, what, what are respect. Yeah, respect and what you're deserving of. So I'm super pumped for the women now that, you know, they're going to um, be able to affect people like your daughter yeah. and, you know, show young girls that, Hey, this is the opportunity that we have. And it's the same with soccer. I think the U S soccer team, the Canadian soccer team have made such incredible impacts on not just like the North America, but the globe. So I'm all for it. I think, you know, um, women should be respected like Burke said and earn earn what they deserve and so I'm I'm really happy about that for the league for the WNBA 100% Burke man can you just talk about how your sister has inspired you from what she's done and how well she's done and to what you do now and and how you view life and everything else yeah no 100% um so she kind of took took the candle, took the baton, if you will. Um, when I was going through, I was fighting through some, some demons when I was at the end of my high school career. I ended up staying back in Brockville for a few years and got kind of hung out with the wrong crowd and got into the wrong stuff, if you will. And I always watched her from the outside looking in. Um, she was down, you know, she got that, that full scully to, to the Sooners. And, um, and then 
I re I'll never forget it. I was I was at my agent's place, Dr. Ping in Michigan, and he had all these families there, linebackers and receivers, and and I was down slinging pool by myself downstairs in the basement of this mansion on a golf course in Saline, Michigan, and I was I was tipping back some pints. And thinking that there was no chance I was going to get a look. And I was the first one called up. Kevin Colbert, GM for the Detroit Lions. Or, sorry, the Pittsburgh Steelers at the time. He's with Detroit now. He called. And I went up into Doc's room. And they said, they want to sign you to a deal right now. I was the first one called. This Canadian punter, crazy, downstairs, shooting pool by himself, drinking beer. And so... So I signed that contract, got this, I don't know, $5,000 signing bonus. It was faxed over. Stacy was a first-round draft pick. I think she was second or third overall in the WNBA that same weekend. And it was a, a glorious weekend for my, my folks. You know, I was coming from such a small town in Ontario where we had more relationship with cows and horses than we did with <laughs> uh, our neighbors. Um, so that was a glorious weekend for my folks. But... I, I guess to answer your question, Stace has just been a superior. When when she handles that basketball, you would think it was somebody in the in the in the NBA, not the WNBA, the NBA, with those handles. And I was always proud of her for that. She could have done any sport she wanted. Best athlete that I've ever met. Seen. Wow. No, that's fact. <laughs> so, no, that's a fact. So. So that being said, that always, you know, and Nick, you know me, man. I've, I've been in trouble. I've been, I've been ups and downs, peaks and valleys. That, that's been my whole life. Yeah. But, but to, to have her to kind of follow when I was in the bad spots, when I was, when I was deep in the valley, uh, I climbed up pretty, pretty quick and found that summit. So, so that's where I'll leave that. Stacy and Bert. Um, and he was right. I was so glad um, that you know Bert taught me how to compete early. I think is the biggest thing because you know nothing in life is easy, and if you can learn to be tough and to compete when you're young, when you become when you start going through the levels of sports, it's almost second na nature to you. Yeah. And I was able to take that from Burke. Um, and as we've gotten older in our lives, I think like knowing um, how much he cares about me and just how proud of me he is. It, it like, that's for me what, it means now it's not about even the accomplishments it's about like having that family member having my brother back me up and he's always got my back he's had my back through everything so for me that's like you could say you talk about what you accomplished and you could talk about this and that and you know Kevin Colbert was right when he called Burke with the Steelers and you know he uh and he impacts people he does he's got this this personality that is infectious and it it's when you're with Burke, you just laugh. Yes, <laughs> you, you, <know>? do. <laughs> you laugh a lot. And so when Burke and I are together now, we just really, he makes me belly laugh. So I love that. 
I love those things now to have that relationship with them now. And it's funny how sports started it all for us, you know, and very humble beginnings. Um, and the yeah. other thing is Burke never changes. He never changes who he is. He will give the shirt off his back to um, people we grew up with to this day. And we love where we come from. I've through this pandemic, I've been on zoom calls with some of the gals I went to high school with. Um, you never forget where you come from. And so humility drives you through life. I love your story, Nick. It's to go, D, to go D2, to walk on D2 at Southern Arc and then end up being the all-time receptions leader in the CFL. It's unbelievable, really. Appreciate you can't write it up better than that. So, and then look where that energy bonds you. Yeah. I get to be on a podcast with you guys right now, which is But it's awesome. like you said, it's all respect. You know, yeah. it's um, it's such a great thing to have that respect level of of others, and that's why I love this podcast to be able to understand others' journeys. And you know, for both of you to come from a small town like me, and and for you know, probably ninety nine percent of CFL fans or NFL fans don't know Burke's about Burke's shoulder injury, right? So they're going to learn something totally new about something that happened, right? Mm -hmm. It puts everything into perspective of what we want to accomplish. And I've always been on the, let's leave it better than we got it. Right. Yeah. And um, we're borrowing everything that we have and we've borrowed the platform and now let's use it to do something positive. And I appreciate both of you for so much for, for coming on and sharing stories and laughs and, and everything, because this is what it's about. Right. Mm -hmm. How many people can we help? with just sharing our stories and some of the things we overcame. I mean, Stacy, you tearing your ACL in, in 97, like in the nineties, ACLs ended careers. Yeah. Right. You came back and you were two time big 12 player of the year. You were the, um, you played for the uh, Canada's national team in the Olympics and you went on to be number three overall pick in the WNBA. And Burke, you tear your shoulder and you start doing something you've never done before, right? Everybody knows kicking a soccer ball is different, but, but to say, you know what, I can do this and, and have enough belief in yourself to go out and make it happen on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's, that's not natural. There's a lot of people that quit. There's a lot of people that give up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, through failure, we find – different ways to get to success some people just say you know what it, maybe it's not meant for me or maybe that person's lucky right i could have said you know what i'm gonna walk on division two i'm not supposed to do that so why am i working for that why am i doing this for that right so it's it's very special and i, and I appreciate you for sharing your stories uh you got anything else berkey Oh, no. tell oh, you I know yeah, I really tell everybody about the shields. Tell I everybody about too the much shields. else. Yeah, I got the I got the shield company coming up. It's called Grizzly Shields. It's born and made in Alberta. Um, it's six millimeter tempered glass shields. We're protecting people, patrons, employees, uh, patients. I I was gonna go stir crazy through that pandemic. I almost ran through my window one night, but I thought, you know what, not the move, right? So what I did was. I had a couple of beers. I came up with an idea. We went and designed this stuff, and now we're, we're out producing. And we've opened up in Ontario now in Victoria with these shields. 
Uh, I've got a lot of support from my family and I know you, Nick, yep. and I can get you going with this, this business out in Saskatoon. Cause I know you're out there, but um, you know what, to get the economy rolling again was the mission vision. And you know what, to get Alberta back on its feet again with the economy was the mission vision. So um, I love the fact that you put this on, Nick. I appreciate you having us. I love the fact that I was able to reconnect with Stace tonight. We haven't talked in a couple of weeks. I know she's busy with NFL, but um, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Can you tell everybody how, you, how they can get a hold of you uh, if they want the Shields or just get a hold of you on social media? Yeah, so it's, it's just Burke at grizzlyshields.com. And, uh, and I, I, can, uh, I, I can take it from there. Awesome. And Stace, how can people get a hold of you or any last words? Well, I ain't giving out my cell phone, but if they want to get uh, <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter. Um, That's down, yeah. Yeah, but uh, my, my last words, thanks, Nick. I'd love to do this again. I mean, it's just so, so cool. Um, yeah. I, uh, as I told you when we started, to get to do this with somebody who's – and, you know, Burke, Burke has told me over the years some of his favorite teammates, and um, there's unquestionably – um, a handful of you and to get to talk with you being one of them is really awesome. So Appreciate thank you. That. And I, I also thanks for repping Texas in Canada. So <laughs> I, I don't know what always that looks like a Texas boy in Canada, but uh, maybe you have a, like a Canadian hockey Jersey too, at this point. Well, you know. I do. I do. <laughs> I'm sure he and does. Speaking of, okay. What's if you had to pick one of those things behind you? Yeah. As number one, which one is number one? Out of the balls, the jerseys, the oh. pitchers, what's number one? Uh, well, Burke's pitcher's down here. Yep, I see that. Looks like we're going against Montreal. Nope, in Calgary. There he goes. Yeah. And then that chair. That's, that's our grandma. Is that Grandma Bells? That's our, yeah, that's our great grandma's chair. Yeah, she was 99, no bigs, eh? Yeah, no bigs. <laughs> that's so that, number one. Yeah. My great grandma's chair. That's an antique. I got this here. Um, that was my, my all-star basketball. I had all the players sign it. Um, the football, that was a 100th year of football in the NFL, this one. Yep. So we all got one of those. And then uh, this maybe – I won this last year on our Good Morning Football Weekend show. It's called <laughs> Who Said That? I do impersonations. Can we get one? Hey, hey give her some. Can we give, get her, give her some Harry Carey. No, I did actually. I did an impersonation of Mike Tomlin last year, and I won this. That was a part of the impersonation list. So, can we get that? Can, well, can you get I, Tomlin? I'm not going to speak like him right now. I'd have to listen to him, but. <laughs> What if, <laughs> what if, hey, Stace, what about some Harry Carey from Saturday Night Live? No? Probably not going to happen. Have to have a couple pints for that one, Burke. <laughs> <laughs> I hope everybody's watching the video portion of this because it's so much fun. Yeah. I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Thanks, Stace. Sorry we took so much time, Nikki. Woo. No, no. I could do this, I could do this forever. I mean, if you get I'm gonna go climb back in a hole right now. <laughs> I'm like a I hermit. I told you we'd have some fun, guy. Yeah. yeah, I'm. You know, people don't understand it. Like, I'm. I'm a true 
entertainer. Like when I'm out and stuff, I like to entertain people, be the life of the party. But when I'm at home, I'm like a hermit. I, I stay in the room, I watch TV, I, I work on different things to uh, see how I can help people and, and do things. And But yeah, I think I'm a boring person until there's a camera or <laughs> until something. Until you, until you get in the limelight, yeah. It's like girls going wild. It's like, <laughs> camera? Oh! <laughs> Well, if you ever, if you ever uh, get to Chicago after the pandemic, um, <laughs> send him my cell phone, okay? Yeah, we'll we'll talk about we'll talk about other things too. The pandemic, guy. The yeah. pandemic. That's what you got. We got call. a Scully and a pandemic. I'm That's gonna need. Right. A, I'm gonna need like a thesaurus to get through this episode. That's real. That's real. Anyways, thanks, Nick. Um, Thank stay you. in touch with me, okay? Will do. Berkey, right, have a great one. Appreciate y'all. All right, guys. Peace. Nicky.